When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I know it's been a while since I posted an episode. I've been on sabbatical. Sabbatical is a uh, seven-year break. Every seven years, clergy in our diocese are given a three-month redirection of our attentions to duties. Uh, We pursue intellectually stimulating projects. We focus on our health and family life um, to sort of um, take a little break from the 24-7 parts of this job that sometimes make um, those parts of life a little harder to come by. Uh, Everybody I know has a hard time with work and with their jobs. And I know you do if you're listening to this, whether your job is at a place of work, you're self-employed, you uh, are raising children, or you're retired or disabled or some other um, occupation, you know that everybody needs a break. And so I've been on sabbatical. I've been writing a lot and thinking a lot and trying to um, stay healthy and and uh, so I can come back to my uh, dear little flock here in Pflugerville, um, ready to face the challenges that our little church has ahead as we grow and um, continue to uh, flourish and share God's love with the world, which is ultimately what we're here to do. So thank you for being back here with me. Uh, let's get started. Tonight I'm giving a talk about Blessed Gerard uh, to the Order of St. John meeting, dinner that they're having here in uh, Austin. I'm honored to be part of this community as a serving brother, and I joined a number of years ago, and I found it to be a great way to serve uh, the poor and people that are in great need. The Order of St. John is an international uh, chivalric order that uh, whose main goal is to support um, eye hospitals hospitals that care for people's eyes in Jerusalem and Gaza, um, in, in the land of Israel and in Gaza, Palestine. Uh, you don't, I don't need to tell you that here in mid-October, uh, the world, that part of the world is facing severe trauma and severe need for care, health care, and other emergency life-saving things. So this dinner was planned many, many months ago, and we're raising money tonight for um, this work of caring for people that can't afford health care over there, who are able to be treated for free because of donations from around the world that come. Many um, come from here in the United States, as the Order of St. John is a really active fundraising group. We also have um, different emergency services. If you go to England, you'll see the Ambulance Service of St. John. And uh, here I'm going to share a little bit about the founder of the monastic order, the Hospitallers, um, who are in the order of St. John. And this is the talk I'm going to give tonight, and I'm going to give it to you now. I hope you'll read it and con- hear it in context that um, of the horrific events in Israel and Gaza 
right now and in the light of the great need for healthcare around the world. And so um, let us begin. I speak to you tonight, not as an expert in medieval crusader history, although I've been an amateur historian of the crusades for most of my life. The word amateur means lover. And I have loved the stories of knights and monks and Saracens and castles as a young man in hope I could have a life like them. And now as an older man, in hope some of their wisdom will bring healing to a war-torn world. I've made pilgrimages to Jerusalem with this part of its history in mind, and I participated in the Iraq war as a chaplain, a war that some have seen echoes, have seen echoes in the aims of the medieval crusaders with similar results. And what I mean by that is some of the results weren't so great, to put it mildly. But I believe my greatest qualification to speak to you about Blessed Gerard tonight comes from our shared experience working with the dying. For many years, I served as a military and civilian hospital and hospice chaplain, which is where we meet Gerard in history, at the bedside of dying people who he just recently met. Hospitals in the medieval world were more like what we would call today hospice centers, Christopher House here in Austin, and the home-based hospice systems that we have around the country are more like the hospitals of the old world, a place where people can die with safety, comfort, and love. Hospices and hospitals were also used to quarantine victims of epidemics and pandemics, which ravaged the connected, multi-continent, medieval world of pilgrimage. Pilgrims were going to Jerusalem from the Christian European world long before the Crusades. Pope Gregory the Great, the Pope in the 600s, who commissioned the first mission to the Anglo-Saxons in England, commissioned a hospital to be built near the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the Muristan, a neighborhood that had been traditionally a hospital. The word Muristan is Persian for hospital. While the hospital was destroyed by the Persian conquest, it was rebuilt and remained there. When the Muslims captured Jerusalem, the Treaty of Umar guaranteed Christians the right to worship and visit holy sites there. For hundreds of years, the hospital cared for pilgrims, especially those who came at their, the end of their lives to die in the holy city of Jerusalem. The Christians who founded and worked at the hospital there connected their work to the establishment of a hospital by the Maccabees, which means hammer, the Maccabean revolt in the second century long before Jesus of Nazareth walked on those streets. Later, the Order of St. John, Hospitaller, um, the scholars from that order in the medieval world, would connect the founding of our order to those Maccabee founders. People like us love to link ourselves to the past, even if it's a bit of a long shot. I think this is a good impulse to have, to want to be linked to people who have done good things in the past. In fact, that is what we are doing here tonight. But we must remember that God's work in the world is always alive, done by living people who are guided by the communion of saints that have gone before. You and I are alive tonight, and that is a great gift and a great responsibility. There has always been tension between the various religious groups in Jerusalem. Our Bible contains many such stories of fights in the temple and Jerusalem long before the three monotheistic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam claimed real estate there. 
In 1009, Al-Hakim, a Fatimid Egyptian caliph, the head of the Islamic world, destroyed the hospital in Jerusalem, as well as the long-standing church of the Holy Sepulchre that had only been destroyed once before by the Persians. Uh, these buildings get destroyed a lot over the centuries. Al-Hakim was known by many as the Mad Caliph, or the Nero of Egypt, and that is not exactly a compliment. Some speculated he destroyed the Holy Sepulchre to dispel rumors that he was a Christian, since one of his father's wives, and possibly mother, was a Christian. Like many of these matters, it is hard to say why someone did something horrible. His son took the throne and rebuilt the Holy Sepulchre and hospital again. During the rebuilding, a large number of Italian merchants and businessmen from the Amalfi Coast started sending money to rebuild the hospital, and many of them moved there. And this is where we meet Gerard. We don't know much about Gerard's origins. His birthplace and how he got into the Benedictine monastic order is a bit uncertain historically. But he was one of the many Christian Europeans who came to the Holy Land to do something good with his life. There is some evidence he did not grow up in the monastery from childhood, as many monks did. He may have had a secular career before joining. Around 1080, he was put in charge of the hospital of St. John in Jerusalem by his abbot. Abbot is linked to the word Abba, father. Um, the father of the monastic order ordered him to do this. From our vantage point, it is easy to see Gerard as a member of the clergy since he was a monk. However, like most monks in the medieval world, he was not a priest, pastor, or deacon. He was a monk from the word mono, singular. He was trying to be like Jesus in his threefold vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The monastic movement was meant to revive Christianity during a time of great ostentatious wealth, prosperity, and corruption by the larger church and nobility. Meanwhile, the poor lived in the muck. The monks sought to identify with the poor since that's where Jesus was. There's a story from Texas about the, when the Franciscans came and founded a mission here briefly at Barton Springs. When the Franciscans met the natives here, they said, they're Franciscans. They live simply with little clothing or possessions just like us. There weren't that many monks and nuns in the medieval world, but they had a disproportionate effect on the world, and we're still talking about them today. And so it is with us tonight. We are not that many or if you're listening to this podcast, we are not that many. My podcast is not that big. But the good that we do has a disproportionate effect on our world. And so Gerard inherits the responsibilities of running a giant hospital hospice in Jerusalem as tensions are growing. The depredations of Al-Hakim led to European Christians moving towards crusading to take back the Holy Land. In spite of the apology of Hakim's son in rebuilding Jerusalem, isn't it fun to inherit someone else's mess? Well, that's exactly what happened to our brother, Gerard. In 1099, when Gerard was about 50, my age, the city of Jerusalem is besieged by the Crusaders. The Fatimids inside Jerusalem grow suspicious of Christians and many are expelled. War has this effect on everyone, suspecting everyone. And Gerard and those who served with him in the hospital were not expelled as they continued to care for the dying. To put this in perspective, we have a later report from the time the hospital, from, the, from the, a later report um, from a little after this, where it says the hospital had about a thousand beds. Uh, 
and we can suspect that all of them were filled. The report says that 25 people died each day. This was a hospice, after all. There was a lot of work to do, lots of holy vigils with the dying. If you were poor and died in Jerusalem, the monks would reverently bury you in a charnel pit at the church of St. Mary in Akaldama, attested to in the Gospels as the field of blood, literally, purchased with Judas's betrayal silver. This was a holy burial awaiting resurrection. As Jesus was to descend upon the Mount of Olives, so these would be the first fruits of the resurrection. Today, we, we don't bury with the resurrection in mind. Perhaps we should more. Maybe we should ask to be put in the eastern side of the columbarium, just a little closer to Jerusalem. The legends say that during the siege, Gerard was said to throw, to his Christian, throw bread to his Christian brethren who were besieging the city. When caught by the Fatimids, the bread he hid in his habit would turn to stones, and he would not be suspected of aiding the enemy. Other legends say he was tortured by the Fatimids for being accused of not paying his taxes. This torture left him crippled like many of his patients. It is hard to know what is true, but I think of this psalm. He has shown me the wonders of his love in a besieged city. It must have been awful for Gerard, the uncertainty, the suffering, the threats. Again, Gerard cared for the people who were suffering as a fellow sufferer. It was during this time that he began to say, that they were there to serve our lords, the sick. The poverty of health was the greatest poverty of all. And so they would be there with those who were sick and dying. It is good to do this holy work, and Christians have always seen those women and disciples who stayed with Jesus during his death as holy work, bearing witness to his death and to his life. When the Crusaders conquered Jerusalem, this led to a period of great prosperity and rebuilding of the besieged hospital. Money flowed in during this time from Europe and Jerusalem. There was great demand and great resources to meet this demand. It was during this time that Gerard did something really stunning and resourceful. He had inherited a besieged hospital and now was the rector, related to the word director, of this huge operation. So this is what he did. In 1113, he petitioned the Pope to establish his community as a separate religious order to take care of the hospital and all the hospitals that they had established along the pilgrimage routes. At this time, the order was still just hospital workers. The military wing of the order came after Gerard's death. In some ways, after the Reformation and the reconstitution of the Order of St. John, we have returned to the roots of this order. Hospitals caring for our lords, the poor, those in need of help. And there has never been a time where this is more needed than today. You have seen the news. They created a palace for the sick. In a world of hereditary hierarchies, they inverted this hierarchy. There is a tendency in the modern world to flatten hierarchies, like that movie about Tony Blair and Queen Elizabeth that I saw years ago, where the royals say, oh, it's just call me Tony, Tony Blair. The informalism of today was not what these monks did. They inverted the hierarchy as Jesus taught us to do. Let him who is greatest among you be the servant of all. The sick and poor were the princes and kings, and the monks were their servants. Poor of people of noble birth joined in the work of hospital, and they lived this day after day. The finest white flour was used for the bread, the food that only nobles would eat in the rest of the world. And you know that Blessed Gerard lived this out himself first. 
It was during these years the hospital expanded to a thousand or more beds. There were 11 wards for men, women, babies, children, and Jews and Muslims and various kinds of Christians were all treated equally. They even fed the Jews and Muslims chicken instead of pork, bacon, ham that the Crusaders and many of you and I enjoy. Gerard built this day after day, year after year. When he died in his 70s, he had shared the love of Jesus with thousands upon thousands. And yet, we can imagine that the most that we can imagine that most of the people who saw that love were the dying people that he cared for, and they were waiting in heaven for him. Jesus said, "Use money to make friends, so you have friends when you enter heaven." It's a pretty simple philosophy. Share what you have with the poor. Pastor James Forbes of Riverside Church said many years ago, no one gets into heaven without a letter of recommendation from the poor. I think Jesus said it in a different way with his story of the rich man and Lazarus. Gerard shows us how to do this in our own day. On his grave is inscribed, or was inscribed, grave's been destroyed, here lies Gerard, the humblest man among the dwellers of the East, the servant of the poor, a welcoming friend to strangers. He was lowly and mean, but within him shone a noble heart. The measure of his goodness may never be seen within these walls. He was provident in many things, painstaking in all he did. He undertook many tasks of diverse nature, stretching out his arms diligently to many lands. He gathered from everywhere the means to feed his people. He fed his people. What a legacy. It does not involve a one election, a public office, a victorious battle, a sword, or even writing a book. None of that is his legacy, just love for the people who could never pay him back. And I think if he were here with us tonight, he would be embarrassed we were talking about him. All the saints point to Jesus and say the same thing. Look at him, not me. Gerard lived near the cross, near the site of the crucifixion and resurrection. He conformed his life into the shape of the cross. How can we do that in our place and time? The way we do it may look different than the way Gerard did it, but the essential truth of it will be the same. We will say yes to God when he calls us. We will say yes to God even if the city is besieged, even if our lives are on the line, even if we stand to lose everything. His relics, from what I've read, were lost in the French Revolution a singular prophetic moment in the secularization of the European and American world. That is at our time. That is our time. When people can't believe anyone would still believe in a religion so much they'd sacrifice something for it. We live in this era and we still believe in the communion of saints, including Gerard, who is cheering us on as we give and work and love. Amen.